story again. John 19, starting verse 12, says, And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now, let's pray. Again, our Heavenly Father, as we turn to the scripture, we just ask, Lord, that you would uh, just help us to gain something from what is said this morning. Help me as I'm preaching this morning to um, glorify you, lift you up, um, and that what I say would in some way be a, a help and a blessing this morning. Just commit the time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we get to this part of the story, and they're turning Jesus over to the Roman rulers, that because the Jews aren't allowed to crucify people themselves, they have to go into the Roman rule because they are technically um, in captivity to Rome at this point. And so they're turning... Jesus over to Pilate. And if I was to start in verse 13, which is the paragraph of this, but it says, Pilate therefore heard that saying. I was like, well, what saying? So I had to back up at least to the saying where the Jews are accusing him and saying, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. Because whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. And so they're really, really pushing this idea that Jesus is making himself a king. And so Caesar, or sorry, not Caesar, Pilate,
We'll get into verse 14. It says, Then it was the preparation of the Passover in about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, and Jesus is sitting here beside him, he says, Behold your king. <laughs> Behold your king. But if we follow the conversation, we get into verse 15. They cried out, this is the Jews, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests, the chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. What an answer. (laughs) We have no king but Caesar. And this is the chief priests, the religious leaders of the Jews of that day. We have no king but Caesar. I want to look at that statement a little bit and the thoughts that go with it. Um, and I see three, three things to discuss. Is one, Jesus' rightful place on the throne. He is indeed the king. Second is going to be Israel's rejection of him as the king. And then finally, we'll hopefully look at the, the final fulfillment of Jesus taking his place as the king, which is yet to come. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. So first of all, Jesus' rightful place is on the throne of David. His, his rightful place is as the king over Israel. And there's promises made throughout Scripture. If we back all the way up into 2 Samuel, we see the promise made to David. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second Samuel 7. Um, starting in verse 8. We'll just read a, a little section here up down to verse 16 or so. It says, Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest. And have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. 
If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. And this is where David's being set up as king, and the promise is given to him that his son will be king after him, and that God is going to establish his throne forever. And there's there's other places that use that carry this on, and it's just like you will not a man. Yeah, can't I can't quote it, but won't fail to have a man on the throne. And so the promise is made to David that his seed is going to maintain that position of king forever. Now, interestingly, even before this, we we do see another promise. We'll go back into Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49. <clears throat> you get into this chapter. At the beginning of the chapter, it says Jacob called his sons and gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And so Jacob is basically giving this final blessing, this final prophecy to his sons and he describes what's going to become of each one and we get to verse 10 maybe verse 9 or I'll start in 8 sorry. (laughs) Judah thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise Thy hand shall be at the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And... We get this prophecy even before David that it's going to be in the line of Judah that that ruler is going to come. We'll go one more spot just a little bit earlier. We're backing up to see just how early God promised this line that Jesus came from was going to have this king. Genesis 35 Verse 11 says, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And of course, this is God talking with Jacob. Verse 9 it was, And God appeared unto Jacob again. And so he 
makes this promise that kings are going to come out of his loins. Israel didn't have a king at this point. (laughs) It was a long time between this point and when David became king. And yet, the promise was there. And it's interesting that it really wasn't God's intention that they should even have a king. (laughs) And we'll look at that in a little bit. But God, God knew ahead of time what was going to take place, and he made this promise that to Jacob that out of your seed are going to become kings. And then we got to verse or chapter 49, and we see that it was specific to the, the tribe of Judah, which is, of course, the tribe that, that David came from. Now, if we carry on, we'll look at the, the fulfillment sort of of this, or the partial fulfillment, we get into to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we have the angel appearing to Mary. We'll get a start in verse 32 here. Verse 30, back up a little bit to get the whole thing. It says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and he shall be, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the host of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. So we get the promise given all the way back in Genesis to Jacob that we're going to have a king. And then to, specifically to Judah that out of your line, there's going to be a king that reigns throughout for all generations with no end. And now... Many, many years later, we have this fulfillment of this in the promise given to Mary by the angel describing the child that she's going to have. He's going to be called the son of the highest, and he shall reign over the host of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. He's going to take the throne of his father, David. And yet, the passage that we read is... In John 19, he's being accused of that, but being denied that by the Jews. Say, we have no king but Caesar. So they're not giving him that throne. We'll just, well, we're, we're here in Luke. Turn the page or two or whatever is in your Bible to chapter 3. The scripture actually gives us an establishment of the fact that Jesus was indeed of that, the right line. He did indeed belong to the line that was going to fulfill that prophecy. 
So Luke chapter 3, there's a, there's a bunch of names given. But we get to verse 31, it says, which was the son of, I don't know how to say these names, but Melia, which was the son of Menan, which was the son of Mattatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David, which was the son of Jesse, which was the son of Obed, which was the son of Boaz. And it carries on. But we see the list starts with Jesus in verse 23. Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age as being with supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of, and so we get Joseph's lineage given here. Jesus is his adopted son, and that lineage goes back to David. He is of the right line as far as this goes. And I couldn't prove it, but Matthew chapter 1 gives another list of names of lineage. And I've heard tell that that is of Mary's line. I, didn't, I haven't looked close at that, but it is a different list of names to some extent. But, but it's two places that both establish the fact that Jesus was of the correct lineage to take that throne of David. Now, Luke chapter 1, there's a promise given to Mary that that is who Jesus is. And yet we're seeing the end of Jesus' life and the lack of fulfillment of that promise. He didn't become... Can you imagine Mary? And we can look, we see Mary during the crucifixion standing before the cross. Jesus is dying on that cross. Do you think she's ever thinking back to that moment when the angel came to her telling her she was going to have a baby and making this grand promise that this child is going to become the king to fill David's line, that he is going to sit on David's throne? What a difficult thing to face and try to understand that this I had this miraculous event. This angel came and told me all these things and it all came true. Except this didn't come true. Psalm chapter 89 tells us something. We don't... We pray for things regularly. As Jacob said, we don't always know how to pray for some of the things that we pray for. But sometimes we think we do, and we tell God how things ought to be. And often things don't work out the way we tell God they ought to be. God knows better, and his plan is better, and he will do what he said he's going to do. Psalm 89, um, starting in verse 34 says, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. 
It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. This promise that God made to David about this throne being established forever, that he will always have a seed to take that throne, God makes another statement here that that is a sure promise and that he is going to keep that promise. So anytime that we, in our infinite wisdom, see a circumstance like what Mary is facing with Christ on the cross and him not taking the throne as if God has failed to fulfill his promise. He hasn't, and he won't. We just don't understand the whole picture yet. Certainly the disciples and Mary didn't understand the whole picture yet. And it's still yet to be fulfilled. And so there's this promise that, David, or that Jesus is going to sit on that throne of David to fulfill the promises that were given to David that there is going to be somebody of his lineage that sits on that throne forever. The second thing that we see in it was the Jews, the priests, were making this statement that we have no king but Caesar. You know what's incredible is that this isn't the first time that the Israelites rejected the Lord as their king. <laughs> um, we'll go back to, to 1 Samuel again. First Samuel chapter 8. As you're going through your Bible, we started in Genesis and we have, thankfully, very little information prior to Noah. We're only like chapter 7, 8 of Genesis, where we have the destruction of the earth by the flood. Everything beyond that point is what happened since then. And so we have a lot of information. So we looked all the way back to, to chapter 35 where, where God's making this promise that he's going to raise up a king in Jacob's lineage. And then chapter 49 was into Judah's lineage. As you go through the books, it's Genesis, Exodus. Exodus is the coming out of Egypt, which is more fulfillments of God's promises. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Like it's like all this stuff that's taking place, all the law that's given. Then we get Joshua and Judges. Joshua is established after Moses as the ruler of Israel. And then after Joshua is the Judges. And we can go through the book of Judges and you see these leaders that come up and they're called Judges and they... They judge the people. And they essentially are the leader to spiritually guide Israel into the path that God wants them to live in. And they judge Israel because Israel fails repeatedly. And a judge comes up, judges them, and corrects them. And then they fail again. And 
Then a new judge comes up and corrects them and they fail again. It's kind of like what we do on a daily basis. But this is how God established his, his rule over Israel. He, he established a priesthood. He established these judges that would come up and judge Israel. It was a different system than the rest of the world. But we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'll start in verse 1 and we'll get a little bit of the story. It says, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So remember, God's plan was the priesthood, and he would establish men to judge Israel, to correct them, to guide them. But because Samuel set up his sons as judges, and they were not good men, the people weren't happy with that. And now they came up with their own idea that we have a better plan. We, we've, we see another system out there. There's this democracy. <laughs> no, it wasn't a democracy, was it? The other nations have kings. And look how glorious they are. They're all rich and they got all this stuff and people bow before, like, they have kings. Let's have a king like those other nations. It's exactly what they did. And it says that the thing displeased Samuel. Because Samuel knows this isn't what God intended for them. But God's answer to Samuel was, go ahead says, hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Samuel, by the sound of it, is offended because he's in that position of leadership over the people. And he feels like they're rejecting his leadership. They're rejecting his son's leadership that he's set up over them. But God says it's not, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's me that they're rejecting. So in John 19, when the priests say, we have no king but Caesar, it's not the first time they've done that. As, a, as in denying the Lord, 
as their king. These guys are denying God as their king, not allowing him. It says, the end of verse 7 says, they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. God was to be their king, and yet they're rejecting him as their king. We'll look at a second part of this in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. It says, And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all kingdoms, and of them that oppressed you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who, gave, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations, and have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes, and then they select the king. But he makes the point. Samuel calls the people, and he makes the announcement, Thus saith the Lord God, I brought you up. I rescued you. I did all of these things. And yet you're rejecting me? Well, here's your king then. And that first king... You remember Saul was not exactly a kind, godly king. He was, he turned, well, back in chapter 7, if we would continue reading from that point where we were, um, Samuel 8, sorry. He says, this, tell them what kind of king you're going to get. And he describes it in those verses. It's like, he's going to take captives for this, and he's going to take people to do this, and he's going to steal your land, he's going to steal your children, he's going to, he's going to rule over you the way the kings rule over the other nations. Like, these aren't wonderful people. The kings, it's like, look around, see the people that have power. They're not generally great to the, to the rest of the people, are they? And God says, that's what you're going to get. And that is exactly what they got in Saul, but God had made a promise that he's going to have a king out of Judah, and the next king was David. But we see, so... Israel rejects God as their king. They reject Christ as their king. But that's not the end of the story. We looked at Isaiah, or sorry, Samuel, that. Psalms, that's one. (laughs) Psalm 89, that makes the statement that God will not fail to fulfill that promise. And so we have, there is a fulfillment yet to take place. And the Bible describes it in quite a bit of detail. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 11. We just looked at this last week at our Bible study. 
this was the chapter we happened to be in, and we looked at this exact statement in Revelation 11 and verse 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. It is a a statement. We're in chapter 11 of Revelation. There's a bunch of stuff yet to take place, and yet there's been a declaration made in heaven that the nations, so the kingdoms of this world, are become, they are become, like current or past tense, not future tense. It's like, it's a done deal that these are now the kingdom of God. That he is going, and so the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, he shall reign forever and ever. God currently isn't the one reigning in the nations, we kind of look, we looked at that during our, our Bible study. Remember, if you if you go back to when Jesus fasted for forty days and forty nights, one of the temptations that Satan came to him with was, "says Bow to me, and I will give you all these kingdoms, because they're given unto me, and I give them to whoever I will." Like Satan actually has rule over the earth. He's At this time, the kingdoms, the kings of this world, are not God's men. And so, there's a statement. Christ hasn't yet taken that throne of David. He is going to. And at this point, middle of the tribulation period, like we're we're literally right midpoint tribulation, right around that three and a half year mark from the events that are taking place, And this statement gets said in heaven, these kingdoms are become the kingdom of our Lord. It's a done deal. Even though it's not until we get to chapter 19 where we see the actual fulfillment of it. And we'll look at that in Revelation 19. says, verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That would be Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the fulfillment of Jesus coming and taking that earthly throne of David He's going to come and 
as a conqueror, which is what everyone thought that Christ, the Messiah, was supposed to come as in the first place. It's part of the reason why they didn't see when he kept telling them, I'm going to go and be killed. It's like, no, <laughs> you're going to come and do this. <laughs> well, he says, yeah, I am, but not yet. He had another job to do first. But this is going to be the fulfillment of that promise to David that we see back in Samuel and even earlier in Genesis, the promise to Jacob that out of his line and out of Judah's line is going to come a king that is going to rule forever. And one of these days, we're, we're going to see that. There's one final completion, and that's, we, we kind of went through some of the end time stuff not that long ago. We get that uh, rapture of the church just before the seven-year tribulation, and this seven-year tribulation is a judgment on, on Israel and, and on the unbelieving world, and followed by the second coming of Christ, which... In chapter 20, so we just saw the second coming. He's coming with a sword and uh, to rule with a rod of iron. Chapter 20, verse 4, says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which did not worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ, a thousand years. And we have this 1,000 year reign, the millennial reign of Christ, is going to take place. And this is that time of that throne of David where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth. But it's not quite the end. It's limited to that thousand years, and there's still one more event yet to take place. During that thousand years, by the way, Satan is bound. Christ rules. But at the end of the thousand years, Satan's released. To deceive the nations. And he gathers a massive army of people to come against God. And God puts an end to it in an instant and destroys all of creation and remakes it. And so at that point, in Revelation 22, verse 1 to 4, it says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, and there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And we go back all the way down to verse 16. It says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of and the offspring of David, 
and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. It's going to be fulfilled. He's going to take that throne. But there was another purpose for him as he came in the likeness of man to bear our sin so that we could take part with him in that kingdom. Without the blood of the cross, we have no access to God and no way of joining him in that. So it's a requirement. But what a thing to be part of that nation that makes a deck. The chief priests, we have no king but Caesar. God is not our king. So I hope that God is your king. The song, King of My Heart, kind of came to mind as I was finishing this yesterday. I ain't singing it for you. <laughs> All right, let's pray.